there. Welcome Blackballed. Uh, my name is James D7. I have a funny story before we start about my next guest. Um, his name is Professor Lawrence Krauss. I've been watching him for years. Uh, I started watching him a long time ago when, it, uh, when I was really into Hitchens actually um, as an atheist at the time and I'm still an atheist just not as militant or maybe more so we'll find out. But um, I was thinking about all the preparation work I should do for someone like Lawrence Krauss because I'm not an academic. I dropped out of college. I had to look up the meaning of physics before I started this interview. And I took that as a sign that I should just stop and maybe I can learn something instead of just doing an interview, pretending that I could scratch the surface of anything that my next guest can talk about. Professor Lawrence Krauss, welcome to Blackballed. Uh, it's nice to be with you, at least virtually. Yeah. And uh, we, start, we talked a little bit a couple weeks ago and you were taking a road trip. Can we start with that? Because I'd love to know what made you yeah, decide yeah, to take a road trip in a pandemic. Uh, well, it's it, it's great if you don't interact with people. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, um, yeah, that's the good thing about a road trip is that you're just in your car. And if in this case, we were in, in two cars, but we're traveling across the country. Um, and, uh, um, and, and well, we just have 4,200 miles from West Coast, from from the Pacific to the Atlantic, literally, and um, it, with with a cat and a dog, and oh, um, it was quite an adventure. And and uh, and every place was different. And it's hard to believe it all succeeded. The hardest part was getting into Canada, and uh, maybe the hardest part. And I'm very happy to say that we did. And um, and uh, um, and I'm here now in Canada. There's Canada behind me. Yeah, you're in Prince Edward Island, you said, yeah? Uh, yeah, I'm in Atlantic Canada right now, yep. Okay, and have you been there before? Is this something you normally do? or? Uh, I've been here, last time I was here was many, 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 many years ago. So it's great to be here now. I've always wondered if Americans can feel that barrier of politeness when they cross the border. Like once they're across, does it become like, wow, I, I, the socialism is really in the air here. I can, I can feel it pretty well. Um. Well, look, first of all, I grew up in Canada, so, so mm. uh, uh, you know, it's not, uh, but I, uh, they, crossing the border was cathartic, and, um, and it was lovely, and it's great to be in Canada right now, but the, the, um, you know, the differences are sometimes subtle, but, uh, but I've, you know, having lived in both countries for, for uh, long periods, I know the differences, and I, and I know the positives and the negatives, and, and, and I've also learned, everyone should live in two countries, because, 
the, the illusion that one country is better than any other place in the world quickly disappears if you yeah. actually live in more than one country. Uh, there are good things or bad things about every country, and um, I have therefore I have no sense of nationalism in that sense. But but I am happier. Um, I, I believe I'll be happier now in Canada than in the U.S. right now. Mm-hmm. Is this permanent then, or are you just sort of splitting your time still? Uh, well, it, 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 the moving back to Canada is is uh, I expect will be permanent and at some level. Yeah, yeah, and absolutely. I intend to relocate to Canada. Yes. Okay. Okay. So let's get started here. So I, I, I do watch a lot of clips um, of people discussing topics that I don't understand because I want to learn more. Like I just, I, I feel a little bit like a monkey when I listen to uh, people talk about science, especially it, it bothered me in grade 10 or grade nine, whenever it was, when my instructor told me that the table that he was knocking on was actually made of molecules. Most and did he tell you that well, yeah he probably did and i just went okay like i need a little bit more time to understand this but i never really got past that part of it because i couldn't conceptualize something at such a microcosmic level or such like a molecular state you know and and then when you read uh, or when you listen to people like yourself speak it doesn't feel like boring science it feels like magic <laughs> it does like it, it, you know when i listen to you talk about it when i listen to um Tyson talk about, uh, you know, the cosmos and things like that. Sorry, I switched the video. We were using the oh. wrong camera. That's a much better camera. Sorry, go on. That's okay. So, yeah, so I just, I mean, give us, what, what, would you, what would you say the best piece of advice would be for someone who's, you know, say in their 40s, someone like myself, who feels like they know almost nothing? What is the starting point for that guy to start learning about things like physics? ask questions that's the starting point of all knowledge is to ask questions and 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 um and not knowing things is exciting because it means there's the opportunity to learn things so ask questions and then try and explore for the answers and in some cases that means going and carefully choosing through the web to see and comparing different results because you shouldn't the web is such that you it's a source of great information but also a source of great misinformation or doing experiments or testing uh and so simply accept, I mean, the great thing about, about being a scientist, in my experience, is that, is that you realize the more you know, the more you don't know. And so the vast amount about the world that needs to be yet understood, that isn't understood, is tremendous. And I find that empowering and exciting and enlivening. And so just ask, asking questions is the beginning of knowledge. And that's why I get so upset when when I see institutions or people or groups that are forbidding people from asking questions, whether it's religious or secular. Yeah. And the, if the more, you know, the more you don't know, um, philosophically, that's a decent argument for being sort of less of an atheist, the more you learn. And I'm well, playing my own devil's advocate because I'm an atheist, but I'm just, that's the problem with religion. It assumes the answers before it asks the questions. The answer it's, so the answer is there is a God and therefore everything has to, be interpreted in terms of that answer, but but that's exactly the wrong way of doing things. The real question is, well, you better ask, what's the evidence? And uh, and and so, assuming you have the answers before you ask the questions, is the is the antithesis of, of learning. It's the it's the opposite of learning. I remember back in like maybe I, let's say the since the turn of the millennium. Um, where it seemed like everybody was like the atheism was the fastest growing 
belief or non-belief, um, you know, in North America, certainly in Europe, I think for a time. And I've noticed lately a big kind of shift in the last like four or five years where it's not just religion that might be coming more popular. I'm not really talking about the establishment kind, but the, the sort of new age religions, uh, I'm seeing it everywhere. Uh, and I'm seeing people like worship crystals and things like that. And yeah. I'm wondering if we're getting into an age where we're filling the void left by institutional religion with things equally absurd or equally say like unprovable or well, some other offensive term I could come up with. I think the point is that what religion obviously serves an evolutionary need or niche fills an evolutionary niche. It's probably a better way of putting it. Um, and people want to believe in the words of Fox Muldar and, uh, and, and at the same time, the, the kind of fairy stories of conventional religion are as people begin to, ask questions about them, the, the ridiculousness of the, all of the, the, the fairy tales behind all the world's major religions uh, becomes more evident. But people still want to believe in things that, uh, that, that the world, the universe is good or somehow cares about them. And, and we all w want to believe that. And so it's, there's a natural tendency to fall into some kind of uh, hocus pocus, whether it's organized religion or something else. And, and that's what science Science is based on the fact that we all want to believe. And it's built up a series of mechanisms to overcome that, to say, hold on, question yourself, test yourself, test your hypotheses. So if, if, if we didn't want to believe in, in nonsense, then we wouldn't need science as a, as a tool to help guide us through that natural human tendency to, to want to believe. I find it interesting that science might allow us to break away from religion if these UFO footage pieces that they're uh, leaking from the Pentagon turn out to be not of this world, right? Like well, they, they, they aren't. Don't worry about it. They aren't not of this world. And there's no evidence that they are. And the least, as, 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 uh, as I was just saying on to someone else on broadcast, the, the, as Richard Feynman used to say, that UFOs are clear evidence of known human irrationality rather than unknown alien rationality. And so the point is the least, the UFOs are unidentified flying objects. That means we don't know what they are. But the la least likely of all possibilities, and I mean that in a clear sense, the least likely possibilities is that they're alien. So just, you know, any other possibility, regardless of how absurd, is more likely than they're being alien-based. So, so if the footage isn't, isn't doctored or anything, you, you think that the most likely answer is that uh, America, China, Russia, someone has tech that no one else has? Is that the idea? I have no idea, or whether it's whether it's misinterpretation of the footage, incorrect data, experiments are wrong. You know, maybe maybe uh, so. There's lots of possibilities, and I don't know the answer, uh, but that's okay. But but not knowing the answer, you know, it's like saying, I, I think I've quoted somewhere saying, lack of understanding is not evidence for God; it's evidence of lack of understanding. And I think in the case of UFOs, you can say the same: lack of evidence is not. Uh, lack of understanding of UFOs is not evidence for aliens. It's evidence of lack of understanding. So then the greater question becomes, why would the government be releasing this footage and saying it's inconclusive now? Well, because there's so much pressure and there's a few probably Congress people who have a, a UFO fixations. And I mean, it's, you know, I think the point is that it's so long pa past that, that and it's there and probably has leaked in ver to a variety of set of sources. So rather than be behind the leaks, 
they want to be in front of the leaks. But as far as I know, and I saw a recent, I read a recent news report on it, on it, the, the report will come out saying there's no evidence that this is any alien technology. We just don't know what it is. And, and, you know, there are speculations about what it might be, but, um, you know, I, I, I suspect the reason it's being released is that it was that it was some Congress people were going to release it anyway. Yeah, I heard that um, there were people that were afraid that Trump would leak a bunch of secrets about their UFO file. So they just preempted him. Perhaps. I'm, I'm glad it didn't come out during. Well, yeah, I'm glad it didn't come out during the Trump period because, you know, we never know what he would have said and then what would people would have believed. Um uh, because virtually everything that was released during that time that came out of his his mouth was misinformation. Yeah, no, we know, <laughs> we know. That was a bizarre chapter for Canada. Looking, looking, sort of like at the United States. World. I mean, the United States influences Canada and the rest of the world, and it was a bizarre chapter of the world. Unfortunately, what it also appeared is that it was the the, the kind of um, lack of. Uh, the kind of misinformation and 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 the, and the um, f- fake reality was not limited to the United States. It's happening around the world. Yeah, I mean it. It was it was a strange thing to to just witness um, because <clears throat> I've been traveling to America my whole life. I've lived there before. I love Americans. I think they're one of the most hospitable people. Really, when you get down to it, I've driven across the country. All I ever experienced was really friendly, kind Americans, um, <clears throat> and I. I, I, I've always been sort of, uh, over the last decade at least, uh, under this fear that our ideologies are going to trump our ability to sort of like, you know, uh, separate fact from fiction. And well, I, I think that the... Yeah, the basis, I mean, that's what ideology is. Ideology is, all, the definition of ideology, if you wish, is to, is, is to trump fact with fiction. Because ideology says there's some things that cannot be questioned. And the minute you do that, you know you're departing from reality. I guess what I was going to ask is if a post-America, if that is sort of like the the bookmark for the be- the beginning or the punctuated beginning of every administration being exactly like that. Like I found Obama's to be a similar but more civil because Obama could never do anything wrong to, as far as the center left was concerned. He could drone seven countries at once and everyone would just be like, meh, you know? And so it's, it, there was a blank check syndrome that was certainly existed under Obama extended to Trump. I'm sure it's there with Biden. And is this it now? Is that, is that what we're doing? Well, I think any time, look, I mean, democracy requires an informed electorate and informed public. So anytime that there's misinformation, I mean, all governments try and misinform to, in order to remain more popular. And I think that that people um, what we're seeing is people not educating themselves because the the, the Internet can be an echo chamber. And so it, it, misinformation is more easily pervade uh, and can conveyed that in, in uh, via the Internet than it was before. Um, and so what we really need to do is, is train young people, especially because older people are lost causes um, in this regard. <laughs> Um, is, is it, it, to try and sift the wheat from the chaff and when it comes to the internet. But, but you're right, I think, I mean, every administration to one extent, I think, I think Trump was quantitatively and perhaps even qualitatively, I think qualitatively different than other administrations, but they all distort the facts in their own favor. It's all of us do in, 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 any, in, in many cases in, in human communication, it's such a natural tendency. 
Um, but but we're, the, 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 the explicit use of, of, of lying about, about extreme levels of lying and repeating those lies, I think uh, we're seeing that, unfortunately, we saw that with Trump. And I, and I think we're seeing that in some ways um, uh, more prominently. Um, and, and, and people can more effectively control the media. And by the media now, one means the internet to some extent than, than was possible before. And all of those things require that we have a responsibility as citizens in a democracy to be more diligent in, 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 in being skeptical and, and checking our sources. You know, it's, it, ultimately, it's, we get the government, I suppose, we deserve. Yeah, um, that that's more than fair. And you know, before January sixth, I actually was thinking that you know the United States was you know within a few years of maybe uh, maybe even some sort of civil war between like you know the fringes of the left and the right. And then I saw what happened on January sixth, and although I think it was you know abhorrent what happened, I don't think they're sending their best and brightest to the to the front lines. <laughs> these uh, these fringes. So I'm not worried about a civil war anymore because I'm like about that in a variety of variety of areas. The best and brightest are being kept out of many things, and it's uh, it's of some concern. We, sh you know, I'm a big believer in, mer in in meritocracies, and I'm a big believer in democracy too. But when it comes to certain institutions, I believe that they should be meritocracies, not democracies. And there's, you know, but when it comes to elected officials, we it should remain a democracy, and we get the government we deserve. Yeah, you have a big slate of celebrities that are apparently tinkering with the idea of running in the next presidential election. Celebrities, you know, uh, yeah, because the bigger the bigger the Twitter base you have, I suppose, the better your likelihood of being elected. I, 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 I it's you know, it's not, it's, it's again, that's not new as well. Look at Ronald Reagan. I mean, um, uh, anyway, it's it. He speaks like a statesman, at least Reagan, right? What was that? I said he's got that veneer, right? Reagan, he had that veneer where he spoke like a statesman. He was acting like a yeah, statesman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he sounded, yeah. He, well, he was an actor, right? He wasn't a very good yeah. actor, but he was good enough to be act, act his way into the presidency. Yeah, my favorite fun fact of Reagan is that he wasn't he a union head at one point? Uh, he was before he both busted unions. He was, yeah, well, he was, uh, yeah, the Screen Actors Guild, I think. And, um, and then, I, but I think even when he was head of that, I think he effectively used it helped use it to quash people. It, might, uh, it was probably after the communist scare, but I think he was certainly part of that involved in, in, in sort of, um, it, since we can, since that's the title of your, of your podcast and blackballing people. Yeah. Well, there's a reason why it's called that because most of my guests have been blackballed at one time or another. Um, we do live in that kind of cult cultural war times, I guess. And um, it's funny because I think that, I've never seen such an issue like this before because the, the arbitrary cancellation of people for tweets that are 10 years old, for example, it's gotta be like, I think there was a New York magazine poll that was done and it was all about political correctness. I think it was about a year ago. And it was like widespread 75% of people just didn't like this game anymore. didn't like the PC stuff. Didn't like cancel culture. Um, minorities don't like it more than white people don't like it. Oh, sorry, more minorities don't. Minorities are, are not uh, among the pile of, of that, that support cancel culture, which which was surprising to a lot of people. So it turns out it's the kind of white Brooklyn liberals again that are speaking on behalf of others. Fortunately, uh, it's the people whose political leanings traditionally have been closer to my own who who have been getting letting ideology get in the way of 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 
reality, and that's unfortunate. And 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 therefore, you know, I've been called many things. Uh, I was just talking to another again, another broadcaster about this in my life. I mean, I was labeled a social justice warrior once for something I wrote, and then and then I now have been called a right wing pundit. So I don't know what what. Uh, I, I, it's unfortunate that the left, in my mind, is responsible for a lot of of. Uh, of infringement on 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 free inquiry and thinking and idea and the imposition of ideology, and I find it disturbing only because politically I um I've traditionally my political leanings have traditionally been those of the left. I think it's I, I say the same because I think it, the most common position to be in right now is to be sort of a left or a moderate lefty or whatever. Believe in man-made climate change, anti-war, pro-societal safety net, all the big check checkpoints. And then you get to the one that sort of has to do with identity politics, and that's it. That, that, that's the only thing that can define you now as a progressive, is if you sort of parrot those beliefs. Um, I have a theory. I don't know if, if you think it will be a good theory or not, but the N-word theory. So society naturally progressed into such a way where we where we believe, and I think rightfully, that White people saying the N-word is something that we shouldn't do. We just collectively have an instinct that that is the correct way to go about it. But I think they're applying, when I say they, I mean like that fringe of the left, they're applying the N-word standard to everything now. So like they view it through that such a profoundly serious lens. And we're talking about things like trans issues, things like that. Like if you don't believe kids should have hormone blocker or puberty blockers, then you're transphobic. You might as well be saying the N-word over there. And I, I think that's crazy that we are... Um, well, you know, look, I wrote a piece for Quillette. One of the reasons I get called right wing is I sometimes write for Quillette, among other things, talking about turning, making the profane sacred. And that's the whole point. Words shouldn't be sacred. And by where, you know, Yahweh, you know, I mean, in the, in the Jewish religion, you couldn't say the name of God, right? Because it was, it was, it was dangerous and that was a sacred word and you can use it. That's the beginning of this kind of nonsense. And words are words, and and uh, and and when I was a kid, they used to say sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And and of course, things can be hurtful, and we recognize things can be hurtful. But giving them a sacred notion is, is so that so that any time they're used, uh, lightning strikes down is just ridiculous. And the example that I can think of that's the most ridiculous version of that was a, and I wrote about this was a New York Times science reporter who got removed from the New York Times for using the n-word to tell someone they shouldn't use the n-word oh yeah and and, and that new york times said it doesn't matter the context is irrelevant and and my the example i think i put in the piece i don't know if it got cut from my piece um uh was that uh, i love this uh, uh, um, uh, uh, friend of mine who's a brilliant songwriter named tim minchin um a uh, uh, wonderful piece uh, called Preju I think it's called Prejudice or something like that, where he where he says I'm gonna you know I'm he, beginning the song he talks about I'm, I I don't want to hurt people and and you know and there's a word we can't use it has a that has two G's and and an I and uh, and an A and an E and an R and but and and he goes on about it and then and then halfway through the song he's, he turns into saying. Only gingers can call other people gingers because oh. he's in Australia and he's redhead and gingers is yeah. a sort of word, but everyone is assuming he's talking about the other word. And right. anytime a word becomes, nothing should be sacred. Nothing should be beyond questioning. And anytime any group turns something into sacred, even a profane word, making it sacred because, because you're, you're saying somehow 
that the use of any word can somehow destroy someone. Well, the use of words can hurt people, but people can also get up above that. And, and, and the fact that uh, Steve, Stephen Fry, who I've been on my podcast and is a friend of mine, has said very often that, you know, giving offense, causing offense, it, it, that's the, the person who owns that is the person who's offended. And how they deal with it is what, what's important. Whether they deal with it, go up to someone and say, excuse me, you offended me. Here's a reason and we should talk about this. Or whether you ignore it and say that person's an idiot or, you know, I'm not worrying what they say. Or whether you then decide five years later that you've been offended and that person should therefore not be allowed to exist. Is, oh. I mean, <laughs> being offended gives you no special rights. And, and, and this notion that single words can somehow destroy people, that the word, you know, rape can't be mentioned in class or some fear some person will will you know be triggered is worrisome because you know part of education is is facing things that are not comfortable that otherwise you're not learning hi i'm steve yurko and i'm tara sands now available from maji media is our new podcast four kids flashback Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Yeah, I, I don't know if Ricky Gervais was talking to you where I saw this or someone else, but Ricky Gervais was. Yeah, it might be you because he said that, um, and I might be, I'm just going to paraphrase, I don't remember exactly what he said, but it was something like, you know, and that's like a person walking up to a tree and seeing a, a post for guitar lessons and taking yeah. the number and calling them and just being like, how dare you teach guitar lessons? Because they were, I don't need, you. I don't want guitar lessons. I mean, it's yeah. Okay. That's, it's, that's it, yeah, he, he did that in the, in the, in my podcast. And, um, and it's exactly that way. It's it's uh, it's and unfortunately, it's it's pervasive. And and for me, as an educator, it's what's sad. Most sad is it's infiltrated higher education. So that literally, higher education isn't a, in many cases education anymore because a certain concepts cannot be discussed. Literally, cannot be discussed. And that and the minute there are things that can't be discussed, you're 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 hindering education. That's why those grievances papers were so alarming to me. Was that H Helen Pluckrose? I think her name is yeah, Helen Pluckrose, and I think James Lindsay, and maybe uh, Peter Bogosian. Um, yeah, can do you have enough background on that to explain to our audience what that is? Because a lot of people might not know, and I thought it was just like the most perfect way to sort of, you know, expose academia. Well, they've done a lot of they've done a number of things. So uh, the one I'm more most familiar with is the is the uh, is the uh, 
is the, 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 the spoof papers that they published in a variety of journals, uh, which were ridiculous. And I think their point was, they were arguing that in many gender studies journals, that the standards uh, of academic integrity, if you want to call it that, are, are so low that any nonsense can be published. And the notion was, and then they got, and, and then, you know, they got in trouble for, for, for publishing spoof papers, um, but at least I think Peter Bogosian did, because, um, you know, they made up some, one of them was about dog, rape in dog. Uh, in, rape culture and homophobia in, and dogs. In, in dog, in these dog uh, playgrounds. And, and, and I think they got in trouble for, from their, you know, grievance studies, but, but because they didn't do a, you know, they basically claimed to have done a survey they didn't do among dogs and dog owners. And, and, and um, they, they've done a very important job, I think, in, in, in pointing out, at least in pointing out that, um, again, any field that came to make presumptions that, are not based empirically is a field that is is worrisome, and certain fields are so, um, uh, and and that's that's becoming the case in academia, where basically academia itself is is so um, there are presumptions that are made that 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 inhibit the ability to to have human intellectual intercourse at a, at a at a, uh, uh, to be able to have open critical discussions, which is what's required for learning in academia. And, um, and anyone, and, and right now, I think some of the grievance studies they've, they've done is that basically anyone who, who, who uh, fear of, of, having of having grievances be called out is ca are causing universities to basically stop having any discussion of anything controversial or anything yeah, yeah. that anyone, it may not even be controversial, but that someone thinks it's controversial because the media right now, social, the, the, you know, the, the internet and, and social media are such that, that uh, a small group of vocal people can have a, have a profound influence, especially, and this is the saddest thing, when the heads, when the leaders, academic leaders or government leaders or leaders of scientific organizations, when they have no intellectual background, backbone, when they say a small group of, of people speaking up is enough, if, if they look at it and they say, what's the downside of infringing on academic freedom or, or censoring ideas? Well, if it, the downside is, well, we may hurt some individuals, but we stop the, the, the social media uh, outcry. And by stopping social media outcry, we, we don't... Uh, we don't put our, our the donations and some public support in jeopardy or government support in jeopardy. And so rather than standing up in favor of, of, of intellectual integrity and free speech and free inquiry, the leaders of many universities and, and, and government agencies and scientific institutions are caving in. And that's exactly what has happened various other times in our in, in the communist scare and other times. And, you know, it, this too shall pass, but it's, it's sad because it's hurting a generation of students because they're not being able to be educated. And that's yeah, really- I'm, not, I'm actually not so sure it's gonna pass. Like I hope it passes. It feels like it's a lot of the stuff is, should collapse under the weight of its own stupidity. It's not gonna but pass soon. It's gonna get worse before it gets better. But all right. things, these things all pass, okay? They're, you know, and, and, and uh, I, it may be replaced by something worse. So don't worry about it, you know? <laughs> but but, uh, but um, 
I think uh, social movements evolve. And, and if, if history is any guide, uh, this will pass. And, and as Mark Twain once said, history doesn't necessarily repeat itself, but it sure rhymes a lot. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so history is a rapper at the end of the day. Um, I don't know how to approach this subject because um, a lot of people will just see two white guys talking about it, which normally doesn't bother me at all. But I want to just be careful only because I, wanna, I don't want to just be dismissive. I, I do want to talk a little bit about critical race theory because the more I read about that, the more I look at it and I'm just like, I, I, I'm having a hard time believing that a lot of the components of critical race theory are even real. Like it wasn't part of a grievance study spoof paper because they list things that are defined as white supremacy, like being on time. Being no, I don't, I, we, we like, don't have to have this discussion. I mean, it's ridiculous. I, I think I don't, you know, I, I, it's not, I used to say when I criticized superstring theory that it wasn't, it wasn't, it, it did a disservice to the term theory. Um, and, <laughs> and, and, but it's no, but that's not on a level of critical race theory. It, I mean, calling it a theory is, is, is in a scientific sense, is just, it's just an absurd and abuse of that word. And everything, and I, everything I know and have seen about it means that it's not, it, 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 it's, it's just an excuse to censor. It's, it's the, the fundamental basis of it, as, as I understand it, and as I've seen it in action, is the same as the witch trials in Salem, where if you basically said you weren't a witch, you were a witch. Mm. And, and, and there's, no, there's no way out. And so, you know, I... I uh, but is it know, dangerous? You can have people who've studied, a lot, and you can have Helen Puckwells and others who've studied in much more detail and have much more um, intellectually deep, uh, uh, deep views of critical race theory, but this notion that white supremacy being on time or in, in, as, as a critical, as a, a group in California who are basically uh, changing the math standards have said that, that getting the right answer in a math test is an example of white supremacy. And that's a disservice to everybody. I don't even understand the, the idea behind the statement. Right? Well, you like know, it, I, I think there are motivations behind it. Look, the motivation are they, is, are they trying to make a historical point that access to education was, you know? Well, I think the point is that there has been racism in this country and in Canada and other countries. Mm -hmm. And 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 so people will say, OK, well, there, there there has been racism and there have been times when when racism has impacted on, on things. But the, but then they extrapolate and then they therefore say racism is inherent in every aspect of the society, which is just not true. Science is not racist. Uh, it's, it's just not. It's based on questioning anything, and 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 uh, um, there's no inherent racism in mathematics. And but I, but the motivation one can understand is an anger, and a sense of of uh, of being left out, a sense of of uh, of inequity ultimately. And and the, the, and there are inequities that are real in society, so we can't pretend they're not there. But to but to suggest they're everywhere is to is to do a disservice to everyone. Yeah, um, I'd like to pivot for a second, just back to just based on what you said about how we were all sort of been racist in our past. Uh, I don't know if you've heard since uh, you've been up here or even before you left about the 215 bodies. I just, I just read about it like, this today. I'm trying to get Canadian news now that I'm up here. And, yeah. And, again, I, well, let me let me get more people hating me, I guess. Uh, <laughs> okay. I just read the paper that so in Prince Edward Island, where I happen to be at the moment, um, that they got they taking down this statue of Sir John A. Macdonald. Now I'm sure John and I, I studied Canadian history. Okay, so I know Sir John A. Macdonald was not a great guy, but no. but um, 
but to somehow argue that that you know the <laughs> the history of 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 Canada and the United States and Australia countries all of which I've lived in is 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 certainly based on 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 certain groups taking away the rights of other groups so if you want to go back there's zero there's zero doubt that that native americans or indigenous peoples or the uh, uh, indigenous peoples in Australia were forcibly removed from land. They were screwed in many other ways. Fine, okay. But if you're going to suggest, therefore, that um, that every individual uh, who was and that the first prime minister of this country, Canada, can't be can't have a statue, it, it, I, I just don't. I mean, I don't understand it because everyone is you're, you can't have a statue for anyone. Okay, just take them all down. Have no statues for anybody. Have no have no celebration of the things you think are good because maybe you like Canada now and you say somehow the Confederate, the first prime minister of Canada represents the creation of a country that you like and, and, and let me celebrate that. But I don't understand. I understand that this is a, that this is a real, that the, this was a real serious, awful thing that happened and we should discuss it and we should own up to it. And, and we should explore it and investigate it and see what can be done to ensure that the lessons of the past cause a better future than the past. But but using it to basically cancel everyone just doesn't seem to me to be of any useful purpose. Yeah, I'm not really for <clears throat> toppling statues and things like that. Maybe though there's a compromise where, you know, we, are, we, we have a habit of putting kind of bad people's names on uh, on something that's prominent. Like a statue would be, a symbol of prominence, putting a name on a school, that's a symbol of, of prominence. Maybe we don't erase the history, but we take away the prominence part. We can have a bust and then so. a plaque. How do, you, you know? how do you determine that, so, I mean, this is the question, that someone was bad. I mean, you know, that, okay. I mean, every, you know, if you, if, you, if you come down to it, you're not gonna be able to name anything after anyone. And so, okay, we won't have names anymore, fine. But I mean, you can always find things that people have done that that anyone's done that you disagree with or you dislike is that going to be a reason you know and so you might say there's some threshold and we used to have a logical threshold you say if they were you know it was sort of accepted at some level who you know you wouldn't name things after but but it's kind of arbitrary and it's like and we have to realize that history is done that way I mean I remember you know I, I, as you've seen I've talked a lot to my friend Noam Chomsky about these things but he would have worked with a, there's a good history book in the United States called The People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn, who's pointed out that the people we normally, the names that we remember in, in, in history are usually the people who were pretty bad, okay? And okay, so great, so we recognize that fact and we should educate people that fact. Um, but, but Sir John A. Macdonald was the first prime minister of Canada, that's a fact. And, and if we like, and if, if the creation of that country uh, is something that we want to celebrate in one way or another, then, then the person who, you may have done bad things, but, but, but he was involved in, in the legislation that helped, you know, and, and the creation of a, of a, of a country. And, and we either celebrate that or we don't, but I, I don't see that condemning John A. Macdonald for, for what happened in, in, I think it was Kamloops, I forget where, but um, um, it seems that, uh, yeah, I'm sure he was a prick, but okay, fine, you know. 
I think what uh, the residential school thing, what makes it especially kind of heinous, and it's not, and I'm not even like, I wasn't even going to mention Johnny McDonald, to be honest. They actually cut the head off the Ryerson statue at Ryerson University because he was apparently the architect of the educational material at the residential schools. Well, anyway, those schools, those schools, they kidnapped um, Indigenous children. And they existed, by the way, until the 90s, not the kidnapping. Yeah, I know. I know. And it's horrendous. It's awful. It's it's awful. But and so we accept it's awful. But then but what we should really be doing is asking, what can we do to ensure that that kind of thing doesn't happen and not get lose track of saying, well, our, what we're really going to do is cut the heads off statues. That's irrelevant and unimportant. And, 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 and you know, and I, I personally, I, I guess when I think about my own life, I've had some relationship. I remember when I was young and I was nominated for No Road Scholarship. I didn't want to go to, I chose to go to the United States. I didn't want to go to, to ultimately uh, to England anyway, uh, partly because of Cecil Rhodes and the tradition that he, he was involved in. So, uh, that was a personal choice. I think, I mean, it, it, there were lots of factors. And and I think uh, the happiest thing about for me that I took a Rhodes Scholarship ultimately was that I didn't do philosophy, which is what I was thinking of doing there. And I chose to go to the United States and do physics instead. But, but I mean, we all make these personal things, but I do think it's sidetracks. We should ask, we should, there's, a, we can always find scapegoats. And all of the people, it, it, many of the people, I mean, maybe there are people who are without sin. Uh, maybe there are people who have not who've not been involved in. But, you know, when I see another example in the United States, Abraham Lincoln. OK, his he's being removed. Wanted, they want to remove his name from high schools. Why? Well, he he did something pretty good when it came to, to slavery. But when it came to Native Americans, he was he was not so good. So, OK. Uh, but, you know, ultimately what you're doing is you're you're denigrating someone uh, who, in spite of those actions, did something incredibly important and good for the country, and saying that he's of no value because he also did something that was bad, and, and you're confusing, it seems to me, and 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 defusing an issue. That was a real problem. The, the the whole notion of what was done was was problematic and should be openly discussed and debated and and debated with even some people. If some people say, well, maybe there were good reasons for it, you know, and, and I'm sure you'd be vilified if you even said that. But open debate is what I think is important. And ultimately, you, what you, the whole purpose of it is to produce a society that is ultimately healthier rather than using it as an as a, as a opportunity to find scapegoats which just distract from the central issue. That's in my opinion. I'm sure. I actually, I actually tend to agree with that. Uh, I, where I was going to go with the residential school thing was was the Catholic Church because they ran them, right? Yeah, and I know. So, I know the Catholic Church, but we all know the Catholic Church is horrendous, right? No, but so, okay. So what I was going to say though is that in Canada, the story comes out, the 215 bodies comes out, the Catholic Church once again is at the center because they they ran the school, and then where I wanted to pivot to from there is this question of why does the Catholic church still exist? One. And two, if I may borrow an idea from Christopher Hitchens, why can't we invade the Vatican? Well, look, they I, seem like a state that's led by pedophile and murder. Like, like seriously, I'm not, this is, if they were an international Catholic, chain of daycare centers, if they were like a, a shoe horrible. store, if they were anything but a religion, you know? Well, that's the problem. The problem with religion. I've been in the Vatican. I was, uh, I've been at the Pontifical Academy of the Vatican and, Stayed at the Vatican and and uh, on one occasion and but uh, the the why is the Catholic Church still in existence? Because people want to believe and it's incredibly powerful and they control the minds of children. That's the point. 
because parents allow their children. To, I mean, I've said religion is a form of child abuse in that sense. You, you, you imbue these things in children who are too young to deep, uh, to understand the deep intellectual issues associated with a creator and all these things. And once it's, once it's in your, once it's here, it, you can't get out of here. And so I think we, that's the really reason they continue to exist because religions are smart enough to get parents to, 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 to brainwash their children early enough on. So even when the children overcome it, there's still vestiges that remain and it's incredibly powerful. And in some places, it's the only institution that, that uh, uh, enforces any order in a social, in a society. And, and in fact, in some places, the Catholic church is involved with helping people. And so that, that's, you know, so is it, Hamas. what? <laughs> so is Hamas. Well, yeah, I know, I know. And, and, you know, and, and, when you, if you've heard me talk to Noam Chomsky, I point out that liberation theology was in, in South America, the Catholic, there were priests who were the only people basically trying to defend people against uh, dictatorships in a lot of South, South America. So it's, it, there's nothing that's, that's cut and dry about all of this. It's, and that's the problem. By labeling scapegoats or anything like that, you, you demean and diminish the whole debate, and, and, which is sometimes more complex and needs to be openly discussed. And... Um, you know, I, I, I don't know how long you're planning to go. I, I got a message. I have to um, report in for my quarantine. And, oh, I, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and I got a call from the government saying I, I, they couldn't get through to me and, and I need to report in. And so I, 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 I'm, I'm obliged in some sense pretty soon to get off the off the, yeah, off that, and call back. No, that's, to that's totally fine. Wait, um, can you tell us about your book? Is it, it's, it's coming out soon, isn't it? It's not, it came it, out. According to our, ours, okay, I just checked. I always have a book coming. coming out soon. I'm working on a new book. But my my book, uh, The Physics of Climate Change, came out mm. in March uh, in, in, in paper, in hardcover in, um, in the United States and Canada. And it's a, and what it is, is, is it tries to, def it tries to do what should be done, I think, which is it discusses the science, not policy. The, the climate change has become in, uh, enmeshed in, in all sorts of political uh, obfuscation and, and the left and the right are using it differently. And, um, and what really is important as the basis of sound public policy is to, is to ask what the empirical facts are. And so this is a book to, to show that in fact, anyone can understand the fundamental basis of climate change. That it's not, uh, that, that sure there are complex supercomputer models that you need to discuss ocean currents in Europe maybe, but but to understand the fundamental basis of, of, of greenhouse, of what's called the greenhouse effect, which is misnamed, I should say. Um, uh, anyone can understand it, just like my book, The Physics of Star Trek said, you can understand modern science. And it's fascinating. And that this can then be the basis of, 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 of later on discussions of public policy, but we should all at least understand what the facts are and, and that the science can allow you to make predictions and that anyone with a high school education has enough training to be able to basically see the, the, the fundamental physics. And it's fascinating. And so it was fun for me to write it. And one of the things we've done, by the way, just this finished this week was sending copies to every member of the US Congress, hopefully, yeah. uh, so that this can be the basis of public policy, but it's available in, in principle in, 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 in the United States and Canada. And, it, and because the science of, when I, when I wrote it, some publishers didn't want to publish it because um, they said, well, you know, you've got to, you've got to make it doomsday. You've got to, you've got to get it emotional. And, 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 and it's unfortunate to me that, that uh, and that's why, it, you know, one of the reasons why it, 
it's doing, you know, people are buying it, which is nice in spite of the fact that it has no, no media, no interviews in the major media, no book reviews or anything, uh, which is uh, interesting. And one of the, there are a number of reasons for that, but one of them is that, you know, it's, it, it, it basically tries not to sensationalize the issue. Yeah. I mean, and I think that minds like yourselves and Professor Chomsky, when I was talking to him not too long ago, is also has a book out about the environment. Listening to Chomsky talk about the environment in 2021 is like listening to him talk about like American imperialism in like 1978. Like, like yeah. you know what I mean? He's all in. It's nice. Yeah, I'll, I'll advertise, you know, I've, I've done as you know, podcasts with Noam Chomsky, but we're also doing now a regular series on my podcast called Current Events with Noam Chomsky. So we've released two oh, or nice. three and the there's another one coming out every week or so. He and I talk for 10 or 15 minutes about some things. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it was really, it was a treat to talk to him. Yeah, no, it was, it was an honor to talk to him and to you, sir. I'm sorry that we don't have more time, but you better get on that quarantine. Government. It's that government imposing their rules on me. But in this case- Where is your liberty, Lawrence? Yeah, well, I suppose in this case, uh, part of the social contract, we're born free- but we live forever in chains and I, I don't mind this particular chain. So I'm going to phone the government. Fair enough. Okay. Professor Lawrence Krauss, everybody, sir. Thanks again for coming on Blackwell. Appreciate okay, it. No, no, no problem. Thanks again. No, thanks no uh, for having me. That was Lawrence Krauss. Guys, um, I didn't prepare because physics is something <laughs> I have a really hard time understanding. I was going to start, start talking to, uh, to Lawrence about uh, free will and, and I can't do that. Um, I find that topic so frustrating. It makes me feel like I have no choices in life. Um, big show on the Dean Blundell show today, by the way. Everyone's favorite activist, Chris Skye, will be on the show to tell us how many feet long are his teeth. And we will talk to everybody then. Thanks very much, guys. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.